Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Starting Small Music Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McCormick, and today we have a very special guest. We have David Dorn, four-time ACM nominee for Keyboard Player of the Year. You've heard David playing keys all over country radio, on the hit songs of Luke Bryan, Jimmy Allen, Rodney Atkins, and many more. I've actually had the pleasure of working with David in the studio. He recorded on my first EP, and I can truly say that he is one of the most talented and nice people in the industry. You're going to hear his story of growing up in South Carolina and how he secured the job as the organist at his church at only eight years old. You're really going to learn a lot in this episode, and I'll see you at the end. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Starting Small Music Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McCormick, and today we have four-time nominee for ACM Keyboard Player of the Year, David Dorn. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. So uh, where did you grow up and where were you first introduced to music? Uh, man, I grew up in South Carolina. And uh, interestingly enough, man, I was introduced to music from an early age. Like my parents aren't musicians necessarily, but my dad had a piano in the house. And so uh, apparently, like I would get up on the piano even in diapers and like pluck around and uh, I was able to hear uh, the notes on there and I could pick out my cartoons that I like to watch and play the melodies from them. And my dad was like, oh, that seems like maybe that's something we should uh, experiment with. And so he uh, he got me piano lessons at, at four years old, man. And like, uh, I kind of never stopped from that point on. So do you yeah. always remember enjoying it and like being very passionate about when you were going to lessons or were you ever in a phase where you're like, man, like, are you guys making me do this? Or did, was it always something you were like passionate and like also were man, really good I- at it? Yeah, I always loved music. Like, it was always part of it. You know, lessons weren't always the most enjoyable thing. One of the, I remember pretty early on, my teacher, my piano teacher, learned that I could play by ear. Um, and, and then she realized that I had perfect pitch. So she was like, all right, we're going to have to fix all of this. So she's like, you're going to have to play the notes that are on the page. So I remember that being sort of tricky because I would just memorize things and like play them back. And she knew I was doing that. And so she, she was like, you're not going to do that. You're going to learn to read the music. Well, <laughs> so I bet you, man, I bet you and Charlie Puth would go crazy in the studio with both of your perfect pitches oh, working man. together. Oh gosh, man. I don't know. We <laughs> crazy with one word for it. <laughs> so who are some, <laughs> for sure. So who are some of the first bands you remember really resonating with and like deep diving into their music as a kid? Well, you know, interestingly enough, like I grew up in a pre-conservative home, so my mom didn't really want us to have like rock records. Mm -hmm. So it was always me sort of like trying to navigate this sort of, uh, we listened to a lot of CCM. But the first like band that in that world that really made me go, oh, this is cool was DC Talk. And I remember that first record we put out was like crazy for me. It was like, what is this? And so at that point, I was starting to really find some other music. I listened to the Beatles and that was like, oh, okay, this is, this is amazing. And my dad was always like, go listen to the Beatles. You know, my mom was an Elvis fan, uh, which was interesting. Like she loved his gospel stuff. And so I, I learned a lot of gospel music growing up. And then I kind of shifted into a more like pop rock world. Um, I was always into, I think the Beatles thing put me into the, the Brit rock mode. So I feel like I've always kind of lived in this sort of pop rock thing and interesting enough I always grew up around country music so totally I had that background um just because of where I grew up and uh, I learned a lot of like classic country my mom loved country music so uh, so I've kind of was immersed in all of it and then um 
because I was studying piano, I was, I was learning classical music along the way. And I actually think that was a really good thing. Learning, learning classical music really helped shape my understanding of pop music and rock music and, and what was happening there. And, uh, and then I kind of found myself into, uh, a more like the, the, the radio head phase that I went through that a lot of us probably hit. And, uh, a lot of that 90s alt rock music I just loved. <laughs> so, yeah, totally. I feel like I was around a lot of it. You know, I was I was really fortunate that I, I was exposed to a lot of different music growing up, you know, even though I sometimes had to search it out and find records that my mom didn't want me to have and hiding CDs under my bed. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. So did you, when did you start, did you ever like playing any bands in high school? Were you playing live or in church or any aspect like well, I that? Played, so I started at church playing um, when I was eight years old, I became a substitute organist at my church. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> did, it, did it have it's all hilarious. the pedals and everything too? Or? It did have all the pedals. Yeah. Now I didn't play the pedals early on, but then one of my piano teachers was also an organist. And so she was like, you need to learn how to play organ. So I started to learn to play organ. And even today, I've been at a church in Nashville for 17 years. I'm the, I play pipe organ on Sundays more, you know, oh, wow, Sunday beautiful. morning. Yeah. So kind of had this crazy uh, existence of different worlds, feeding kind of different places my whole life. And so, um, and then I played in bands, um, had a, a band in college that I played with and we were doing like just kind of like pop rock stuff uh and then i actually when i moved to, to nashville i was in a band called calico trail it was a seven piece like eagles americana tom petty thing oh, awesome. and uh, we ended up getting signed to a record deal and then that record deal fell through pretty quickly because the label closed down and uh so but interestingly enough like i use all those guys on records that i'm producing and um we're still buds so we still play music together which is awesome Totally. Um, but then I kind of shifted from the band thing into the session world. So, so what was that? Like, uh, what was there a specific instance that happened that made you take that leap to move to Nashville? And what did those first years look like for you? Like, how did you, did you meet up with these guys? Were you already with them before you moved to Nashville? No, I, uh, I came to Nashville cold, man. Like I had nobody that wow. <laughs> I knew, but I came up and finished school at Belmont. Um, so I did two years at Belmont University, finished piano program there. I was, got my classical piano performance degree from Belmont. Awesome. Um, and uh, I always looked at Belmont as like a networking tool. So I used that, that time there to really just find a group of people that I, I loved working with. Um, and uh, I, I didn't live on campus. So at that time, while I was at Belmont, I was starting to try to find gigs and play shows mm -hmm. uh, with other artists around town. Just, you know, making some extra money, getting to know people, learning about other musicians in town. Um, and I think that, man, I think that was a really big part of my um, coming up was the fact that I'm, I met a lot of people that I still work with today, you know? Like, totally. that, it's crazy that we've, we've all kind of come up in our own way, um, but, a lot of those musicians that I was playing with early on, we still, we still work together even in the studio, you know? So what, I mean, what really made me come to Nashville was like, I, I had gone to New York. I love New York. It's a great city, but I didn't see myself working there. You know, I didn't want to necessarily be playing piano on Broadway shows. That just wasn't my, what I really loved musically. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the LA thing just didn't feel like that's where I wanted to be, you know? So, mm -hmm. 
it was pretty easy decision for me to come to Nashville. Plus, I had come up before and was just mesmerized by the amount of talent that I saw. I went out to just see some shows like we all do when we come to Nashville the first time. It's like, go look at the people playing down on Broadway or whatever. And it's just like, holy smokes, man, all these people are great. Right. Really good, you know. And then you realize it's even deeper than that when you when you get here and you start to really get immersed in it. So uh, so Nashville is always kind of like the obvious choice for me to come be a part of, you know. Totally. So. so what year did you fully transition into being a session player? And after all the years of doing it, how do you keep yourself inspired and like in a mind that's still able to create? You know, I feel like some people like the average musician might get burnt out. How do you keep going? Right. Well, you know, interestingly enough, man, like my my sort of path to session playing is unique. Like I actually wasn't planning on ever being a session player. Uh, I was coming more from a writer producer standpoint. When I graduated college, I started a studio on Music Row and was just doing production and writing 100 songs plus a year for three years straight. But in that time, um, I was building demos early on, like in 2008, 2009, I would do a lot of the demos for songs I was writing on and with other writers that I worked with. And uh, people started hearing there like, hey, man, can I get you to come play keys on some of my stuff? You know, like, so I had a couple writers that would ask me to come play keyboards on their sessions. And of course, I'm the, the young kid that nobody knows anything about with all these heavy hitter session musicians. But somehow I, I my way through or I made it through those and got called back. Um, and so I kind of shifted into being a, a full time session player, I guess, in about 2011. 2012. So it was a, a four to five year stint after college where I was just sort of figuring out who I was, what I was doing. Um, I always was involved with studio. Like that's always been a, a love of mine. Even when I was back home uh, in South Carolina, I worked playing sessions, although I didn't really know anything about sessions. I just would get called to come into the studio to play keyboards on stuff. Oh, wow. Some CCM records and stuff like that that were happening there. Um, had a guy that, uh, was near my hometown that that helped me a lot because he had a home studio and he taught me a lot of things about that but I was more interested actually in just being an engineer and a producer and that sort of thing but I think that shaped me as a player and made me a better player because I I was listening to things maybe a little bit differently um and and so anyway to to answer the follow-up part of that question Justin's like uh, you know we're we're all going to have days where it's hard to reinvent the wheel, you know, like, and that's what we're a lot of times trying to do. <laughs> you know, we're trying to, to, to find something unique and creative on, on songs. Sometimes it's like, man, I played the same progression eight times this week, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, for me personally, it's like, there's always something to learn, man. I never stop learning. I'm always listening to music. Uh, I'm always sort of just like investigating what other people are doing, what sounds are being used, how are, people approaching songs and I think that's sort of that producer mentality that as session players we even have to have like we're many producers in our own right because we're taking care of our our chairs we're taking care of our parts making sure that everything's placed the way that it should be and listening into all those things and then interpreting what an artist and a producer on the other side glass is trying to ask for and get you know and so all these things are 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 things that we're always learning man we never stop learning the day I stop learning is the day I quit music period. Like there's always something <laughs> yeah. to learn there. 
I totally you know? agree. And I totally agree with like how you said that as a session musician, you basically are a, a producer on the project. Cause like the producers, when they come in, they're not delegating you exactly what you have to play. They're putting their trust in you that, that you're going to produce your section of the sound, the sound. And they trust that the guys you play with every day can work off each other. Like when you guys are all playing your own parts. So that's totally a, exactly. a good scenario. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what is a, is there any specific projects? I mean, you've been on so many hit records at this point. Is there any specific projects or artists that like you're very proud of, like in like the huge aspect of your career? I'll be honest with you, man. I'm proud of, I'm proud of any time that I get to be on something that's released, you know, I mean, and, and even, and I'll say this, even on demos that I've, I've played on for, for songwriters that over the years, it's like, I'm proud of those things too, because we might've shaped the song that made that that songwriter's career open up you know what i mean those anytime that the the music that we we walk out of the studio and we've left something where we feel like hey man that we 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 created something today we we found something that's really special those those are the days you live for i mean not that doesn't happen every day you know even on hit records we don't always have that happen but there are those moments where you walk out and everybody in the room knows man that was magic like that was whatever just happened, whatever we created, that was magic. And that's what, to me, it's like all the accolades and all these sort of, you know, things that get tied into the the artists that we work with, which, you know, all of us are so thankful and grateful to be part of. But to me, the the special moments are like when you walk into the control room, you listen back and you're like, everybody knows it. It's undeniable. Like we just created something special that's, that's what you're living for and and you know and also just getting to play with the best musicians in the world man every day i get to be in with some of the best musicians that you know you're ever going to meet man and like making totally. sure that you're playing to the standard that you feel like you left it all on the floor that they're not going to look and say doran didn't play his best day like he didn't come in and, and bring it today like all these things that's what i that's what i really cherish about being a session player uh Cause you know, as a producer, you get that moment, but then you walk away and you have to take that track and you're going to live with it and listen to it a hundred plus times. Mm-hmm. You know, we get that moment and it's a really sort of quick in the, in the moment section, you know, like, I, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like you get maybe 30 minutes <laughs> of like, wow, we created this and then you walk away from it and that's it. But yeah. I love you, Everybody knows those moments and they're so special, man. And, um, a lot of songs I've been part of, I feel like, you know, hit songs and not hit songs have have been that. And so anyway, that's kind of a convoluted answer to that question. But I, I feel like that's that's what I I live for. You know, oh, that's awesome. And like as a player, it seems like you you're with a lot of the same guys a lot of the time on your yeah. records. And uh, a, a guy you constantly see is uh, your buddy, Justin Ostrander. And in 20. Uh, uh-huh. 19 you release a three-song project called inspired with him and uh, mark Lonesway. and man i checked that out in yep. preparation for this interview and like i thought it was so cool it has such an owl city vibe to it yeah. uh what, yeah. was, what was the process like of you guys wanting to put this uh music out under your name and like uh what was like uh are you guys going to do more music going forward well so we actually have a production company together the, th- really? the three of us yeah um and we we do like film tv stuff so warner chapel uh, hires us out to do these projects and uh, they allow us to write everything, produce everything. And uh, it ends up going to them as far as like uh, music that they, they pitch for us and to put into um, just to put into TV uh, film world. And man, we've all been creating like 
Justin and Mark are a perfect example of people that I, I met early on and, and I still work with to this day. Obviously, we, we have a company together. And uh, and so we, we still write today. We literally wrote two weeks ago and we're writing music and constantly trying to like find our own things. Because I think that, you know, all of us as, as session musicians or whatever, we all have our own sort of like, we're many artists in the way too. You know, we all have something that brings to the table as far as our own creativity and, and, uh, and ability to, to create. So I think it's important to, to actually write your own music and, and put it out there. Even if it's just instrumental music, maybe you're not a singer, you know, it's like, I'm not the greatest singer, but I, I love, I love writing, you know, I love For writing sure. music, I love even writing just songs in general, you know, but uh, so anyway, that all came from, from sort of being hired a bit to do it. And then we've kind of continued that process on of just releasing music together. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I definitely think you guys should release more projects, man. And oh, dude. Well, thank you, man. <laughs> so kind Appreciate of, the, that. yeah, no problem. So to kind of wrap up, what is uh, your advice to those people that's dream it is to maybe specifically be a session musician, to be the next David Dorn, to be the next Just No Strander? What is your advice to those people in high school or on the come up right now? Well, you know, I mean, the, the biggest thing that I can say is listen to music, listen to everything you can, you can find because, you know, as a player, it's looking for inspiration one, but learning from people that have already do it. And, and, you know, like so many great records have been made and like start to actually like dissect what a record is. What are the sounds going on? What are these parts? Why is this part being done? So these are things that you can do on your own. This is like homework assignments that you can just do. And we all love music anyway. So just listening to music, but not just as a casual fan, but actually like listening into the music learning parts, learning how to play what's there, try to get sounds that are super close to what you're hearing. Um, and then, you know, also I think it's really important that you that you can come up with together. I think in the music industry right now, it's like finding a group of people that can all kind of push each other. It's really important, man. It's like finding your, finding your group, find people that are like-minded. Even in cities, you might not be in Nashville, you know, but you find somebody that's a great musician in your town. There's other people that love music equally. Go out there and start playing, even if it's just to say, hey, come over to the house. We're going we're gonna to try to break down this song, learn something about it. It's, it's taking that type of initiative. And then, you know, if you really want to be a session player, I think you do have to move to one of the major music towns. I think that's just kind of part of it. Uh, not, it, that's not always the case, but I, I, you know, the reality is a, a lot of the stuff that's, that's done is in Nashville or LA, maybe, maybe more in Nashville than any other place to be completely honest with you. Yeah. Um, now we have these sort of opportunities and like sound better and these uh, remote sites get on there, like put yourself out there, force yourself to almost like just have to get in it and do it, you know? And then, uh, you know, the biggest thing that I would say is like, you you practice because you want to be better like you you don't have to be told to practice you practice because that's just innately you want to be a better version of yourself musician the the thing that you have to really practice and hone in on is being a better networker being out there meeting people trying to actually say hey i've got something to offer you know and and then following up on that and so yeah that, that's my advice man hopefully that helps somebody well, there you have it, my conversation with David Dorn. David, thank you again so much for joining the podcast. Everyone go stream his project, In Spirit, out right now on all streaming platforms, and follow him on Instagram at David Dorn Music. 
make sure to come back next week and listen to my conversation with David Schultz, the tour manager for Jimmy Allen. You can also check out Starting Small Music on YouTube at Starting Small Music and see all the video content from all of our interviews. Follow Starting Small Music on Instagram at Starting Small Music and let us know who you'd like to hear on the podcast next. And remember, everyone starts small.